Passover, the Last Supper, and Communion. Welcome to this episode. May God bless you and lead you in this discussion. Today we are going to take an in-depth look at all three and the correlation between them. First, let us look at Passover. To some, it may be 40 days of Lent, where you give up something you love to do or eat for 40 days. I'm sure we all know what Fat Tuesday is, the last day of decadence. What is Passover? What significance does it have in Bible history? Where do we look to see where and what it is? Let us go to Exodus chapter 12. Verse 1, God is speaking to Aaron and Moses, giving them instruction on what is going to happen next and how they can be saved from the last plague on Egypt and from bondage. Going to take a moment and set the stage for this scene. The Israelites have been in slavery and captivity for 400 years. God has sent Moses to free his people. And God has sent nine plagues on Egypt to show Pharaoh who God is. Pharaoh's heart is still hardened, and he will not let the Israelites go. Here God is telling Moses and Aaron that this last plague is the worst, for it is a plague on all firstborn children and all livestock, that the angel of death is going to sweep through the land, killing all firstborn. Now, they did not argue with God or ask him about themselves. They listened. I wish I had that strong of a faith. I mean, your natural response is, uh, yeah, sounds like a good plan there, boss. But uh, what about our children and livestock? Think you might be going a little extreme here? They didn't say any of that. They did not question it. They listened and obeyed. God tells them that on the 10th day of this month to take a firstborn lamb, a male without spot or blemish, they are to keep it for three days, and on the third day they are to sacrifice it the morning of the 14th day of the same month. Take some of its blood and put it on the doorpost in the lentil of the houses where they eat it. The same night, they are to eat it roasted over fire with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. They are to have sandals on their feet, their staff in their hands, and to eat it in haste, for this is the Lord's Passover. God says, For I will pass through the land on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall keep this day as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So how are the Israelites to be spared? God tells them, the blood on the doorpost is a sign that you belong to me, and I will pass over your house when I strike the land of Egypt. 
So we can clearly see that they were protected or covered in the lamb's blood, but not just any lamb, a lamb that was born a male and without blemish. Where have we heard that before? John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist is baptizing at the Jordan River. Jesus, the Son of God, goes to him to be baptized. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus referred to as a lamb, not just a lamb, a firstborn lamb without spot or blemish. When we get back to Egypt, God goes through the land, killing all the firstborn, including Pharaoh's son. Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, for there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord. This is quite a powerful story. The hardness of Pharaoh, to not heed to the plagues, he would not acknowledge God's power. Every time Moses asked him to let them go so they could worship God, and every warning before the plagues, Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not believe in this Lord, or why I let Israel go. It took the death of Pharaoh's son and all the firstborn of Egypt for Pharaoh to listen and heed the call of the Lord. How many things have we lost because we have not listened to the voice of God? How hardened have our hearts become to his voice? I still am in awe at the last command of Moses and Aaron. I mean, granted, they had seen some stuff. The river turned to blood, the flies, the locusts, the frogs, the darkened day, nine plagues prior to this, the last one, though, killing all firstborn, telling Moses and Aaron to sacrifice a lamb and that its blood would protect them. How they did not question it or rebuttal against it, God said it, and they did it, and were spared. Here we are, over thousands of years later. We read this, and even, even seen it on film, through the Ten Commandments, and refute it, and make all kinds of interpretations of it. If anyone had a reason to question it, it would have been Moses and Aaron, and they did not. So why do we? Let us move forward in time. Jesus is on the earth, as we have seen in John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. He is proclaimed as the Son of God and the spotless Lamb who took away all sin. In Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26, what is happening here? It is the 14th day of the first month, and they have just killed the Passover Lamb. The disciples asked Jesus, where do you want us to prepare so you may eat the Passover? Jesus tells them to go into the city and a man will be there carrying a pitcher of water. Whatever house he goes into, follow him and tell him, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. 
There make ready for us. The disciples did what Jesus told them to do and found it just like he said. And there they prepared the Passover. Here they are celebrating the Passover, which was commanded to them by God when the Israelites were freed from bondage. Now understand that Jesus had been on the earth for 33 years and had been with the disciples for three. If they did this every year for the last thousands of years, why is this Passover the only one mentioned? What makes it noteworthy, so to speak? Verse 17 in the evening, as they ate, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. They questioned him, is it I? Jesus said, it is the one who dips his bread with me in the dish. Jesus proclaims that the Son of Man goes as it is written, but woe to the man who betrays him, for it would have been better for him not to have been born. Jesus proclaims both of their deaths, Judas the betrayer and Jesus the Son of Man. Often think of how Jesus had to feel. He was and is the Son of God, but he was also a man to bear our sins. He has spent the last three years with his disciples. Jesus knows this is their last Passover on earth together. He also knows what is going to happen in the hours ahead. He tries to allude to them that there is something different about tonight. Remember, in the disciples' minds, they are just eating Passover, which they had done on the same day of the year all their lives. So when we see Jesus taking the bread, blessing it, breaking it, and saying, this is my body broken for you, which in a few hours it will be broken. And then he takes the cup and says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed, which in a few hours it will be. For many, take it and drink ye all of it. Now he has just proclaimed that his body is like bread that you eat, and that his blood shed is a new covenant. There isn't a record of them questioning this. They just went along. So had God revealed it to the disciples that Jesus was to be the Passover lamb for all sinners. Jesus also proclaims that this is his last supper with them on earth. In verse 25, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. After they ate, they sang a hymn, and they went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus might have looked over the mount and remembered preaching to the multitudes and the miracle of the two fishes and five loaves of bread. It's just a postscript. It's just my thoughts. There's no biblical reference to it. Just setting a scene. Jesus, once again, is telling them of things to come. In verse 27, he tells them, All will be made to stumble because of me this night. Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 10. This prophecy in Isaiah is in this moment being fulfilled. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In Isaiah, we see the prophet prophesying Christ's death and resurrection. 
Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or sin. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Back at the Mount of Olives, Peter says he will not stumble. And Jesus says, three times this night you will deny me. And Peter did. Jesus goes on and tells them he needs to pray. And they need to keep watch. Jesus tells them he is deeply distressed, even to the point that his soul was sorrowful and to death. He asked them to keep watch. He went a little further in the Garden of Gethsemane fell to the ground and asked his father that this hour or prophecy be taken from him. Ask his father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you will. Again, he finds them sleeping and asks them, could you not even watch for an hour? Jesus tells them, watch and pray, lest you enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus goes off and prays the same prayer to his father again. When Jesus come back, comes back, he finds them asleep again. Jesus says, enough. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. From here, Jesus is led to the high priest, then to prison, where he is mocked and beaten, and then to the land of the skulls called Golgotha. Jesus was crucified, and while he suffered on that cross, the assembly still mocking him and challenging him. If you are who you say you are, come down from the cross, save yourself. Six hours later, being tortured, tormented, and feeling forsaken, he even cried that to his father, Why have you forsaken me? Six hours Jesus endured this. Some of us grumble about an hour-long service of scripture reading. Think of this the next time you are tempted, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then Jesus cried out, It is finished, and breathed his last. The sky darkened, and the veil between God and man was torn forever through the sacrifice of the spotless, blameless lamb. Thus fulfilling the words, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it. 
This is my blood shed for you and the blood of the new covenant. Take it and drink ye all of it in remembrance of me. I wonder how long it took the disciples to learn the importance of that Passover night or the Last Supper, as we call it. Look at the events after the death. Jesus is buried. Mary goes on the third day to anoint his body and sees a man dressed in white linen sitting in the tomb. He tells her he is not here. He is risen. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell them that he is going on to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told them. Jesus then appears to Mary, and when she tells them he is risen, I have seen him, they did not believe. Later, he appears to two more of them, and they, well, did not believe either. Then he appears to them all at once and rebukes them for their unbelief. This story is told in Mark chapter 16. This brings us to communion, a tradition that we set aside for 10 minutes in a church service, but only one service a month, some churches only twice a year, and of course we must have restrictions on who can and cannot take part of it. I did not see any restrictions in the passages used for this discussion. I could not find any in, other, in the other three Gospels either. Even in Corinthians, where Paul introduces it into the church service, the only restriction he places on it is that you do not do this in an unworthy manner, for you will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But examine yourself and let them eat and drink, for he who does this in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. I do not see any requirement that you be Jewish, or that you have a certificate from a communion class to be a partaker of communion. How is it to be taken? Paul says that when you take it, remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks for it, broke it, and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 through 26. Communion is the remembrance of the Last Supper, the night Jesus was betrayed, which was the Passover, in remembrance of their exile and freedom from Egypt. The only restriction I see is that you need to examine yourself before God, which means any sin needs to be confessed and any offense you have needs to be reconciled. Even then, you can still do it. However, you are facing God's judgment as to whether you can partake of it. The only other thing I see is that we do not do it enough. I personally have a set of communion cups, and I do it in my dining room. 
This does not have to be a big ceremony or production. This is an intimate time with you and God. I am not dismissing the power that is felt when shared in a group or in a church service when many believers stand together and profess that Jesus was betrayed, crucified, and risen again for our sins. I am merely stating that this is a very intimate time with God, and you can do this in your home or anywhere you spend private time with the Lord. I would ask that the next time you have communion, that when you look at the bread, that your mind is fixed on that night, and when you look at the cup, Remember that Jesus bore our sins and freed us from the bondage of sin by the shedding of his blood and the new covenant. We share with him also. When Easter comes around, remember that on the 14th day of the month of the first year for the Israelites, God set this day as a memorial and an ordinance that we as believers are to keep. I thank you for joining in this study. I hope that the next time you have communion, that you remember what all had to happen for us to be able to take the bread and drink the cup. May God bless you and keep you. The text used was Genesis chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 53, Mark chapters 14 through 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11.